0: Hello everybody and welcome to the third season of the most popular Denver Nuggets podcast with the word corner in its title. Welcome to the 77th episode of the Serbian Corner. My name is Miroslav Cuk and after a three-week mini hiatus, I'm back ready to take you to the most ambitious season of this show so far. First of all, Happy New Year and also Happy Christmas Eve in Serbia since Nikola Jokic's Christmas begins in about two hours. The Nuggets have won eight and lost two games since we've seen each other the last time. That sounds pretty awesome, but it has to be viewed through the lens of easy schedule. We've seen a six-game streak, the longest one of this season so far, but that streak included three wins against the Eastern conference teams, so, you know, we bash Embiid when he dominates those guys. Let's be honest and say those are the games you should expect to win anyway. That win streak was interrupted by an awful home game versus the Thunder that might be a handy piece of information for the season going forward. The Thunder and the Timberwolves are the two teams that gave serious trouble to the champions and the good guys will need to approach the games much differently if they meet one of those teams in the playoffs. After that, they play the Hornets. Easy win with Jokic experimenting for a full half before turning the Jets on in the third quarter. After that, a TNT game in San Francisco. The Warriors were hitting everything in the third quarter, held on to a big lead in the first half of the fourth quarter, and then collapsed against the Nuggets' clutch defense and great execution. To put, put a bow on the 25-4 to four run to end the game, Nikola Jokic banked a 12-meter last-second game winner, according to game log translated to metric units. Lastly... The up and coming Orlando came to town without seven of their rotation guys, including their best player, world champion Franz Wagner, and two of their best centers in Wendell Carter Jr. and Goga Bitadze. So naturally, the Nuggets lost an 18 point lead and laid another egg just to sort this show wouldn't, you know, get off the rails with the Nuggets hype. Uh, I like to take a wide frame of the NBA on this show from time to time and I usually scan Western Conference foes since it's the gauntlet the Nuggets have to go through while the Eastern Conference teams expose each other before the final series. This time around, I will concentrate on all the teams that have the best superstars right now regardless of the conference so we can decide where to slot the Nuggets in that spectrum. To do this, I needed some serious help, so I've invited the guy we all followed for many years because he was one of the first and certainly one of the loudest Jokic strutters outside of Colorado and Serbia. He is the writer for the Bleacher Report and the author of, I think, the most comprehensive ranking of top players in the NBA that takes the biases out of the equation and relies solely on many, and I mean many, advanced numbers. Calling from Friendly Wyoming, it's Andrew D. Bailey. Welcome back to the show, Andy.
1: Thanks for having me, Marislav. That was a wonderful intro. I appreciate that.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I will, I, I, I will I own being one of the loudest Jokic uh, supporters. <laughs> That's kind of my calling card at this point.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you should just, you know... Um, uh, this is a figure of speech. You should dance on graves or on of all the people that were doubting him for so many years yeah. and the, 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 the evidence was so so obvious. By the way, I don't know if you can hear the gunshots behind me. it's it's the it's the fourth of July uh, today in Serbia. so <laughs> figure of speech. so and i I mentioned that I think Franz Wagner is the best Orlando magic player. I, am I underselling Paolo Banquero when I say that? You know, I I, I just take maybe too much uh, uh, to the World Cup where where you know France won a gold medal as the best player in Germany and and you know Paolo didn't medal at all with the team U.S.
1: No, I I don't think you're wrong. First of all, I think you could make an argument for either one of those guys being Orlando's best player, which is part of what makes them so interesting. I mean, I think. Franz is the older of the two and he's what, 21, 22 years old. So they're really interesting. And Paolo carried them without a bunch of their guys against the Nuggets last night and had a triple double. Um, I, I don't think it'd be crazy to say his potential is maybe a little higher than Franz, but I do think Franz is probably better right now. Um, I think he's just a little bit less mistake prone, a little more solid on, on both ends of the floor. He's not shooting the ball well this season and that's, that's something that surprises me a little bit, but it's not like a huge concern. I I think he's going to be around an average to above average three-point shooter for most of his career. He's just in kind of a slump. I So yeah, long long-winded way of saying, I think you're right. I would say he's their best player at this moment.
0: Yeah, and just one more thing on Orlando. They have so many guys I like on that team, so many guys. But every time I watch them, they're kind of a drag to watch i mean they have that elite defense but a lot of free throws while playing the offense like it's 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 not the most fun thing to to watch at least in my opinion i agree with that
1: too um i really like that roster i like how young it is i like how versatile it is i can't stand free throws <laughs> i think i think people who follow me on twitter probably know that about me that's that's certainly not a fun Part of the game, um, and I hate foul grifting. I don't necessarily think Orlando's is guilty of that, as some other teams are. I think they're getting to the line in in more legitimate ways, frankly. Um, but it still can look
0: like a slog when you watch them. Yeah, that that, that free throw rate is is huge. Okay, okay. Let's let's move to the to the to the main theme of of today's show. So, my first question for you. It's not a common thing to win a championship while not having a top 10 guy on the roster. Like there was there were 2004 Pistons. I don't know if you can make a case for 2008 Celtics. They had a big three maybe maybe none of those guys were like a legit top 5 or top 7 guy. I don't know. I have to to go way back for that. So I want to start with an honorary mention here. That might be the real one, but we'll see. It's the Boston Celtics, who probably have the pound-for-pound, pound, the best top six in the league. But Jason Tatum comes at 15 on your list of top players for three season, For three reasons, in my opinion. He is not terribly efficient as a scorer. The advanced stats struggle to quantify great defense. And also, you know, his rating is probably cannibalized by the other really good players on his team do you see tatum's individual ranking or production as a problem for their title run or is this just you know a flaw of metrics only rankings
1: i would say a little bit more towards the latter um i look at that project that i do probably once or twice a week where i just take the most publicly available catch all numbers um And I sort the players by the average of their rank, not by the average of the numbers themselves, because they all have different formulas and that would get muddy quickly. Um, But it's just sort of a guide to say, you know, instead of saying Joel Embiid's first in EPM, second in BPM, um, first in game score per possession, I'm missing one. And like third in LeBron or something like that. That's that takes a long time to say. Yeah. Um, so instead, you,
0: you you cannot fit it in, a, in into a tweet,
1: right? Right, <laughs> unless you're a sucker like me and you played for a blue subscription. Um, but the quicker way to do it is to say, you know, by the average of his ranks in those metrics, Joel Embiid is third right now. Um, but again, it's it's not a perfect exercise, and I wouldn't. I, I certainly wouldn't say that's like my definitive player ranking in, in my own subjective mind. So that's the first part of it. And I think if I had to just rank players from a purely subjective standpoint, I would probably have Jason Tatum in the top 10. Um, Based on what we've seen from him in recent years, especially recent postseasons, you know, a lot of people, you know, have big takes about the Celtics failing in the playoffs, which is just kind of crazy to me. Cause him and Jalen Brown, I think are both 26 and under, and they've been to the conference finals multiple times. Um, I, I think, you know, they're in the Eastern conference, so that makes it a little bit easier, but their playoff experience is pretty impressive in, in my opinion. So in my subjective mind, I do think he probably is a top 10 player and based on how good, like the, the depth of talent in the NBA right now is so off the charts. Um, that I think you you might be able to win a title with like an 11th or 12th best player in the league. So he doesn't necessarily have to be top 10, especially when the rest of, you mentioned their top six. Um, I think it's pretty undeniably the best top six in the NBA right now. And I was just thinking as I wrote the power rankings recently that I, I was looking at numbers for Peyton Pritchard and Sam Hauser. Um, they probably have the best top eight at this point. So if you replace... No, I don't think Tatum is like a top five player. And that may be a knock against their title odds. But if you've got the best top eight, maybe you maybe you can win that
0: balancing act. I mean, it's, it's maybe uh, talking the same stuff about the Celtics throughout the years. But do you see something different about their half-court offense in the clutch comparing to the previous season's? I
1: I think they are better than the previous seasons for a few reasons. Um, I think Derek, I think the absence of Marcus Smart, while I, you know, I know that was difficult for Celtics fans to accept that has elevated Derek White, who's just a much better player than Marcus Smart. And now that he's not competing for touches and minutes and whatever else he's playing like a borderline star. I mean, by the rankings that we've already referenced, he is an all-star. Yeah. Um, you know, he's he's been around 20th in the league all season. So he's been phenomenal. I think that's a huge difference. Um, Drew Holiday's point of attack defense, he hasn't been as good offensively this season, but him and White together as a defensive combo is something that they've never had before. Um, and then the move that I was most high on for them all summer, even after the Drew Holiday trade, was the Porzingis pickup. Um, I thought that was a stroke of genius the moment they made the trade. I thought he was wildly underrated for the Wizards. Um, He has kind of figured out what makes him most effective in the NBA. Um, It's spacing the floor out to 30 feet. When you've got a seven foot three guy who commands attention out there, that's a huge deal, especially for a team with a bunch of slashers like Boston. Um, He also knows how to take advantage of mismatches inside now too. I mean, if their offense breaks down or they can't get like a good look in the first fifteen, twenty seconds of the shot clock, you can just toss it to Porzingis at the high post and all he has to do is turn around and shoot it. Nobody can contest his shot. Um so yeah, then another I, I think they're absolutely better than they've been in years past. I think this is the best team of the Tatum and Brown era. Um, and if I was forced to make a pick today, I might do the Celtics, even even knowing denver's playoff ceiling that we just witnessed what six months ago
0: yeah uh, so. another guy who is leading a really really good team so far but is an honorary mention on on this list because he's only 25th on your list is anthony edwards of the minnesota timberwolves would this team be a real aberration considering that none of the guys i don't i don't think any of the guys you you can put in in top 10 on that list, but there's really look really good.
1: I don't think you can either. Um, but this is another depth of talent situation. Um, they are their their top four guys are really, really good, especially since they got Mike Conley in there instead of D'Angelo Russell. like that was a game changer for them. Anthony Edwards is another guy that i I would be fine if somebody looked at my list and said he's better than the twenty fifth best player in the league. Um, but I also agree with you that he's probably not top 10. Um, not consistent enough defensively, not as much of a playmaker as some of the top 10 playmaker for others as some of the top 10 guys are. Um, but <laughs> if you've got three guys that you can reasonably argue are top 30 players, and I think you can with him and Gobert and Towns, that's pretty interesting. Um, and Edwards is another guy like Tatum that we I think we've seen hit a little bit different level in the playoffs. Uh Bruce Brown famously said that the Timberwolves he thought was their toughest matchup in their run to the title last season and I think that's fair. Those games were super competitive. Anthony Edwards was unreal. Um his his career playoff averages go check him out listeners. Um they're crazy. So I think I think he has the ability to like elevate himself in a in a two or three game situation to match like another team superstar. Um it's hard to do that four series in a row and and win a championship. Uh but I, I would say it's possible. I wouldn't I wouldn't quite put them on the same tiers the Nuggets and the Celtics. Um, but they're not terribly far
0: behind. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, it's time to take our first short break and then We'll move to the actual list. Don't go anywhere. Okay, we are back. Time to to pull out my, uh, my presentation that that has some really cool graphics, as you can see. So at number 10, it's Kevin Durant, who is leading the Phoenix Suns to the eighth best record in the West so far. Bill Simmons had a hilarious comment on the Suns. You got to take them seriously now that they are above 500 at home. <laughs> um, so the Suns' big three have played only 65 minutes together so far, and Durant was the most durable of the group so far. Do you believe he'll be the best-ranked Sun at the end of the season? And if so, I mean, is he good enough, or is that, that Phoenix team good enough to, to get out of the West this season?
1: Um, First question I have kind of a cop-out answer I think it just depends on health Um, that's so one thing I didn't mention as I was explaining the exercise earlier is half of the numbers that are in the mix are rate which are like points per game half of them are cumulative which is like total points and so Devin Booker's lagging behind a decent amount because he's missed more time than Kevin Durant has which you alluded to um And I think Durant has enough of a head start that even if they play like neck and neck the rest of the season, he's probably going to finish highest among Suns. But (laughs) given Kevin Durant's history, I mean, I don't think any of us would be shocked if he has a 20 game absence at some point. Um, I do think just subjectively speaking, he is their best player. Um, I think he can get to a slightly higher ceiling than Devin Booker can in like a one or two game setting. Um, and I do think this is another team that's good enough. But like I wouldn't be stunned if they won it all. Um, there there's so much firepower between him and Booker and another guy who's often injured is is Beale. And I think when he's on the floor, it really changes the dynamic because it's a lot harder to guard three guys than it is two. Um having said that, I I don't know if they'd even scare me quite as much. As the Timberwolves do, um, because their depth kind of drops off a cliff after Nurkic. And Nurkic, I think, has unfairly taken a bunch of strays this season for Phoenix's struggles. I actually think he's been pretty good. I think he's been undeniably better than DeAndre Ayton this year. But after him, it does it does get pretty bad pretty quick <laughs> for the Suns. So if I had to put like a pecking order in the West, um, they might be top four, but uh I, I wouldn't be real confident in that
0: placement. They they really need to to pile up some wins fast to, to get away from that eight seed. Because the West is, is right. crazy deep this season. There are 12 teams you can you can call maybe not good, but at least you know mediocre. Like there are only three teams you can call bad in the West right now, unlike in the east, but what's what's new there? So you you really need to be good to to be competing in the West. Okay, uh, next guy on the list at number nine, it's Kawhi Leonard of the LA Clippers. And they're right now number four. In the West, the team started so-and-so. Then they were terrible for a while while after the Harden trade. But since then, they have been one of the hottest teams in the association altogether Kawhi appeared in all of the first 27 clippers games this season and that happened only twice in his career back in 2016-17 and also in his rookie season in 2011 is Kawhi back to his old finals mvp self
1: um if he's not there he's very close I I think if you if you isolated his last like 20 games or something, I can't remember what the exact numbers are, Um, but he's he's been out of control uh, recently. Let me let me do it on basketball reference real quick. So if you just look at his last 14 games, he's at twenty nine points, seven rebounds, four assists, two steals, shooting fifty two percent from three um, a block. I mean, he's he's been out of his mind lately. Uh, I watch the Clippers and I don't. I don't quite have the same feeling I had when I watched him in the 2019 playoffs when like the Terminator commercial came out with him and Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I, I thought throughout that playoff run, like, man, this is kind of reminding me of Michael Jordan. Um, There was like this inevitability that just kind of followed him through every series. So I'd say he's maybe like 90% of the way to that Kawhi, maybe 95, which is obviously still an outrageously good player. and based on the last like month or so, I don't I don't think it'd be crazy to pick the Clippers to come out of the West. Um, most people panned the James Harden trade at the time it was made. I, I feel like I kind of walked the line in the middle and uh, was political and said it could go either way. It's gone <clears throat> about as well as it could possibly go. Um, whenever they made the decision <laughs> to put Westbrook on the bench and make those three guys Kawhi, Paul George, and And Harden, the focus, they've they've been ridiculously good. And I think both of those guys, George and and, uh Harden, they know Leonard's the guy, and that's that's empowered him to, to get back to this close to this level that he was in 2019. I think he's been absurdly good.
0: Yeah, you mentioned you know you compared him to Michael Jordan, and I believe if Michael Jordan would be playing today. I mean the young version of Michael Jordan not the <laughs> current version I believe he would be even better than what he was back in the in the 80s and the 90s but I think Kawhi only lacks charisma to be really compared to Michael because you know Michael was was a one man show uh, in, on all levels so that's probably why why people don't use this comp uh, uh that often but tell me you mentioned how crazy hide the uh, the the level of players in the nba is right now can, can you even imagine Kawhi going uh, going forward uh on on this list like top five on this list considering all of the other guys and their production uh, you know by the end of the season
1: i think it's possible um i think one of the i think a couple things that you mentioned earlier might prevent him from doing that um you mentioned with Tatum that there's a lot of other good players on there who pick up a lot of numbers. Um, and I think that could work against Kawhi to a degree because Paul George and James Harden do a lot. Um, and then another thing that I mentioned, I think with Tatum was he just, he doesn't quite create for others the way that obviously Jokic or Donch um, or Tyrese Halliburton, who's spoiler alert coming up. um I I have long believed that passing and assists are one of the most underrated parts of basketball um especially among a lot of the fans and so you know he's he's at like 3.6 assists or something like that this season that's fine given his role but it does make it more difficult for him to elevate in an exercise like mine
0: you know I think the league itself is is guilty for this because if if you go to the all-star voting, you'll get players sorted by the points per game. Mm. Like, come on, guys. Like it's two thousand twenty-three. We know so much more the, than points per game <laughs> yeah. about the game of basketball. And of course, Kevin Durant has more more votes than, than Jokic, even though he's just like number one and Jokic is number one in points per game among yeah. the, the front court guys in the West. But it is what it is. I mean, unless you're a Laker player, then it doesn't matter. You you can have like five points per game and still have you know three hundred thousand votes <laughs> for for the all star.
1: This is a tangent for me, but I I have been dying to get rid of fan voting for like five or six years. It's so bad.
0: Yeah, yeah. I Oscar mean, I, I think I think the media uh, really deserves a lot of credit for the way. They are voting on the awards at the end of the season. Even though you you might not agree with all of the all of the awards they they give out, you can say that the process behind the the voting is much better than what it used to be. The the worst thing you could do for the All Star Game would be to give the players the power of voting yeah, because that would be a shit show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> that would be horrible. Anytime but, they show the results of a player vote on anything, it's like whoa.
0: yeah but i i trust coaches and i trust media so yeah i i agree with you i agree with you. fan vote might might not be the way to to do the the beauty competition yes yeah yeah. so uh with all of that said about uh about kawaii and and paul george and james harden do, do you see that team as a real contender right now
1: yeah i do um I think I think that's a really really good top three. We we already had the discussion about it. Usually takes a top five to ten ish player to win it all, and they have one of those, which not every team does. Um, I think Harden has accepted his role brilliantly. I think they have a lot of role players around those three guys who fit pretty well, like Terrence Mann knows what he's supposed to do. He doesn't try to go above and beyond that. Usually Russell Westbrook surprisingly has kind of done the same since they moved him to the bench. Um, <clears throat> Zubats is an underrated guy. I've thought Mason Plumlee is an underrated player for a long time. He hasn't played much this season cause he was hurt. Um, but they've got a lot of interesting players around a really, really good top three. And if they're, if they're healthy, which is like the caveat with them year after year after year, they, they can beat anybody. Um, I, I really do believe that.
0: And most importantly in the West, they have bodies for Nikola Jokic. So right. that's that, that's a big it's a big thing. Yeah, for, for sure. For the playoff hopes. Uh, uh we'll we'll go a bit longer on this on this segment, but I need to speak about two guys now. At number eight, at number seven, the only pair of guys on the same team, it's <laughs> Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Now when you have Two surefire top 10 guys, and you might say that's not maybe true Yeah, on your team. You should be considered one of the main favorites for the title, right? They also got Austin Reeves back on a suspiciously low contract. So many people were thrilled by their acquisitions of Gabe Vincent and Torian Prince. And yet, they are two games under 500. They've lost four straight now and need a full-blown Warriors collapse to get back to the play-in spot because they're at number 11 right now. What's wrong with the Lakers? And is their superstar duo enough to get them to the playoffs? And if they get to the playoffs as far in the playoffs as last season?
1: Um, <clears throat> so I'll take the last one first. I don't think the superstar duo is enough. Um, they've both played like top 10 players like you said i think you could make an argument to have either one of them out of the top 10 but they've they've been around that range and they're under 500 um and we're what 40 45 percent of the way imagine
0: imagine talking about that in the 90s like you have two top 10 guys and you you are under 500 what
1: (laughs) yeah it's it's hard to imagine or even even if you had said that four months ago you know if you had said the lakers are going to get top 10 type seasons from lebron and ad but they're not going to be in the playoffs i mean people would be shocked um i think part of the reason people are surprised is those off season moves that you referenced and i thought this at the time were way overblown um and it's probably because they're the lakers yeah. um it's probably because espn spends so much time on all of their um programming talking about the Lakers and hyping them up I think it was Kendrick Perkins who after the Gabe Vincent trade uh, deal signing whatever it was um basically said oh they got Gabe Vincent it's over um
2: <laughs>
1: oh look at Gabe Vincent's career regular season numbers um he had a decent playoff run for a team that overachieved last season and made it to the finals um his body of work for his whole career suggests he's, he's like a solid ish NBA player, Um, which is great, but it's not somebody who's going to like put you over the top for title contention. Typically Um they've got an awesome top two. If you want to throw Reeves in there, I think who's come back down to earth a little bit this season, they still have a great top three, but, but look at the roster after that. Um, Torian Prince is not like a bona fide starter for most other teams in the league. Uh, Vincent certainly wouldn't be for most other teams. Cam Reddish is already like washed out of multiple teams. Um, they're playing playing guys, big minutes, starting guys um, who wouldn't start for a bunch of other teams. And and the last thing I'll say too is, um, just like a wildly inconsistent rotation from Darvin Ham probably isn't helping things either. Um, so they, they've got sort of a cocktail of problems that you can have two great players, but basketball is a five-on-five sport.
0: You, you mentioned Daringham, and he definitely sounds like a fall guy for, for the Lakers right now. He actually started five power forwards a couple of nights ago. It was like, yeah. like LeBron, Torian Prince, Rui Hachimura, Jared Vanderbilt. Anthony Davis yeah. and surprisingly that didn't work <laughs>
1: like, that guess? night I just randomly saw a tweet from somebody that was like Darwin sir you're starting five power forwards and I just started <laughs> laughing out loud I mean it 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 really is crazy some of the decisions it, that he's made
0: it, it's like the bubble nuggets when they couldn't get their yeah. guys in, on time because of COVID and stuff like that and Yeah, they had to, to play Jokic at one and like <laughs> Like who was it it was it was crazy, um. So, yeah, the, the the Lakers the Lakers really suck so far. It's 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 hard. I remember you mentioned the the Gabe Vincent signing. It was like with. Wando last year when they got Wando from Utah, they were like, yeah. "Oh my God, we got Jared Vanderbilt." And I was like, "I like Wando. He's he's a Nuggets former guy, but yeah. come on, guys, he's a zero on offense. Like, what do you expect of him in in the playoffs?
1: They, they will they will sell themselves on anyone. um <laughs> Vanderbilt never had like a massive impact with Denver or Minnesota, and then he went to a tanking team in Utah.
2: Um,
1: <laughs> that wasn't supposed to be good. And he had an opportunity to put up maybe a little bit better numbers than he typically did um, because they had just traded most of their team away. Um, And so then, you know, the Lakers can talk themselves into him and he's, he's a good player, like you said, but he probably isn't the starting four on a, on a title contender unless your other four guys are fantastic. They have two fantastic players. Um, but if Jared Vanderbilt is your, you know, fourth or fifth best player, you got a problem. He's, he's really good. If he's your eighth or ninth best player.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that. Okay. It is time to take one more short break and then we'll go into the uh, top half of this list. Go, don't go anywhere. Okay. We're back and at number six. As we've mentioned already, we have Tyrese Halliburton of the Indiana Pacers. Now I have to make a confession here because I, I already did this live back uh, on a show with Adam Mares. But uh, Halliburton is the last guy I proposed for the Nuggets to trade for for Michael Porter Jr., and that was way back after Hallie's, uh rookie season and before Michael's last, uh, you know. Uh, um injury on on his back so i'm i'm riding with mike now so no no worries about that he's he's my guy for eternity uh but about tyrese so he's basically a 25 and 13 guy right now like those two numbers were never achieved at the same time in the history of the league and the pacers are now fourth in the east after winning six straight games that still doesn't feel like contending, considering how top-heavy the East is. It's really difficult to project anybody winning the East over the Celtics, Sixers, Heat, and Bucks, I guess. Nevertheless, Halliburton has had an amazing season so far, extremely good assist-to-turnover ratio, which is crazy on, the, on that volume, and a bunch of 20-plus assist nights. Is his individual leap, the biggest thing the Pacers can realistically expect is this season, or do you think there's something collectively they can hope for?
1: Uh, Probably the individual leap. I I agree with the way that you laid out the East. Um, I I probably wouldn't say they're a contender either. Um, I think they can beat any team on a given night because they're capable of scoring 150 points, (laughs) which is just
0: like... (laughs) And being scored on as well.
1: (laughs) that's the problem. Um, I think they've hit 150 like three or four times already, which is just crazy. But like you said, they can give up 150 Um, and they're not going to score 150. I I don't think four times out of seven against a team like Milwaukee or Boston or Miami. Um, I think they would give any of those teams a pretty tough series. Um, the, The Rick Carlisle is like, an offensive mastermind. I think that's kind of like an under the radar NBA story. I think he don't quote me on this, but I think he might've had the best offense of all time for one of his Mavericks seasons too. And now that's what he's doing with the Pacers. Um, So offensively they're incredible, but I do think um, as, as we've talked about depth a few times in this uh, podcast, it's great to have a top 10 player, which I think you can very easily argue Halliburton has been. But then after that, I mean, do they have a single other guy that you'd confidently say is top 50? Um, that's that's a pretty big gap between first and second best player.
0: They have a lot of guys shooting over 40% for three points this season. Do you think they, they they've had some shooting luck there? Or do they actually have such a good shooting team?
1: I would say there's probably been a little bit of luck um, but a lot of that luck has probably been generated by Tyrese Halliburton. Um, it's it's easier to make threes if you've got potentially the best, I'm, I'm not even going to say potentially, right now he is the best distributor in the NBA. Um, so it's easier to make threes when you got the best distributor setting you up or at least the highest volume distributor setting you up um, and that's that's I think one of the uh arguments in their favor for winning a playoff series too is they if they get hot from three four games out of seven like you could they could scare anybody um but again it just it comes back to who's the second star and how much are they gonna give up on the other end so so maybe a little bit of luck um but I think Halliburton deserves some credit for that
0: yeah three young was crazy for a couple of seasons because he was leading the NBA in total points and total assists. I think a couple of times, which is insane if you think about it, yeah, but, one. but he was never, he was never such an efficient playmaker. His turnovers were much higher comparing to what Halliburton uh, does. And it makes sense because Halliburton is a lot taller than, than Trey. So the, the passing angles are, are, easier for him so you you can even talk yourself into calling him like a like a playmaking wing not the traditional point guard because he is a quite of a big of a guy for for a for a point guard
1: he's probably taller than bruce brown i don't i don't have like the
0: base
1: but yeah yeah he's he's a big he's a bigger guard which is something that i've always been a sucker for his size and playmaking
0: yeah yeah well uh Indiana always felt like the Nuggets of the East to us. So you know, until they become really, really good and really scare us in the playoffs, uh, we can we can continue with our. When I say "our," I mean Nuggets fans. You know, uh, um, being them a uh, uh, sweethearts in mm-hmm. the East. Okay, at number five, and let me put out this. This, yep, yeah. at number five, a guy I'm famous for hating on. Not because of his basketball skill, since I believe he might be the most skilled player in the world, or because of his personality, since I love him being such a goofball. It's because of his historically low net rating for one of the best players in the league since his sophomore season, really. And in the future, one of the best players ever. I'm, of course, talking about Luka Doncic. Andy, do you have a theory as to why such an incredible talent Does not translate into more positive minutes on the court. And how how serious of a team do you think the Mavs are? They're currently number six in the West this season.
1: Um I don't I don't think I have like a great theory for that. That's been a curiosity of mine for much of his career. Not curious enough to like really dive into the context. A lot of times, I mean, for one thing, he hasn't had a lot of star talent alongside him when he's on the floor over the course of his career. I mean I just
0: praise Yeah that that sounds like Jokic man.
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> good point. Um but we have to rem- I mean there's there's a level that Jokic has gotten to that I don't know like Michael Jordan and LeBron James are the only two who've gotten there. Um for Luca and, and having said what I just said, I mean, I, I talked about how good Porzingis was, and I think Kyrie Irving's a phenomenal offensive player. So part of it probably is on Luca for not, you know, knowing exactly how to unlock those guys to the degree that maybe others could. Um, I, I do think the ball dominance can be a problem at times. Um, it's certainly not a problem for his individual <laughs> production, uh, and generally when he's on the floor Dallas scores plenty of points um but this this kind of reminds me of something that Michael Porter talked about after last night's game um he he kind of mentioned how hard it is to get and stay in a rhythm when you're you're not touching the ball you're not involved and i think that that might happen with Dallas sometimes with Luca um I'm I'm always more of a fan of like the 2015-16 Warriors or the 2013-14 Spurs, those teams that the ball is like constantly in motion. All five guys are moving. All five guys are touching the ball. I think that's so much more difficult to guard than what Luka does. And again, like the numbers back up what he's doing because they score very well every single season. Um, but just from like a, a vibes standpoint, very scientific from me, I think it would help if he got off the ball a little bit more, and the doubt, the Mavericks just played a little bit more of like a team type system.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I, I believe his teammates would be more engaged on defense if they were part of the offense as well. And you know, it's it's a really easy thing to 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 understand. The ball is so much faster than any player, so yeah. if you move the ball, it's it's so much harder. That's, to... that's funny. Um, my uncle,
1: one of my uncle, I mean. I come from a tall family. Um, I'm I'm about average and I'm six foot seven. One of my uncles was about this size and another uncle was taller and they were all on a city league team years and years and years ago. I bet their shortest guy was like six, five, six, six. And one of their friends wanted to join the team. He said, I, I'll play guard for you. I can, you don't have anybody to dribble the ball up the floor. And my uncle said, that's fine. We'll just pass it up the floor.
0: Yep.
1: Wow. <laughs> <A lot laughs> um, yeah, I think uh, like you you just said it. The ball moves so much faster through the air than really other any mode of transportation for the basketball. So when the ball's moving, it's it's just a lot harder for the defense.
0: Yeah, I agree. So so Luca will need to. I I believe Luca will need to change something about his game, or Dallas should change. But by the way. Is is Dante Exum their third best player? Maybe second best player on the team this season.
1: Yeah, I forgot. So I forgot to answer the other part of your question. I don't think Dallas is a contender right now, um, but <laughs> I like like as crazy as this is to say, I think Exum like is kind of the key for them becoming that. I think to this point in the season, he has been their third best player. It took Jason Kidd a while and, and honestly, a couple of injuries <laughs> to yeah. luck into putting Exum in the role that he should be in. Um, but, you know, Serbian fans know well what he does from his time in Belgrade. And he's doing that with the Mavericks. He's been very, um, he, he's just playing his role so, so well. He's a great gap filler for them. And I, and I hope when all three guys are available, and I think that time is coming soon, I think Exum has missed the last couple games. All three of them need to start together. And I know that's a lot of, that's a lot of dribbling and playmaking in one lineup, but maybe that's the key to getting Luca off the ball a little bit more. Um they're another team that kind of like Phoenix has a ton of firepower, so I wouldn't be stunned to see them win a series, especially from what we've seen from Luca in the playoffs. Um, but it's another team that that kind of falls off a cliff after the top really two or three guys.
0: Yeah, I mean, I love Dante, as you know, and I'm not sure if he's their third best player that that bodes well for them as a true contender. Yeah. But, but I I might be wrong. I might be wrong. I mean, I, I really like, like the way he plays. Let's let's move on because we need to cover a couple of more players. So at number four, a former two times MVP, a guy I'm famously low on, considering the accolades this guy has and the fact that he is probably already a top 20 player of all time. Is the most impactful player of the Eastern Conference's second seed so far, Greek freak Giannis Aretokumpo. How did his season look to you so far, and what's the ceiling of this Milwaukee team in your opinion? Um,
1: I think he's been ridiculously good um this season i th- I feel like this season has also m- maybe and hopefully I won't get in trouble with Buck's fans more than I already am um, <laughs> has maybe revealed that he's not quite the world changing defender that everybody thought he was um because now that there's a weak link in that that chain with damian lillard milwaukee's defense has been really really bad but Giannis has been phenomenal Mm -hmm. offensively and i i actually think the way that those two guys have figured out how to play with each other on offense has been really really good i would probably have them second behind boston in the east um just ahead of philadelphia and, and I know there's defensive concerns there, but just with those top two offensive guys, Giannis and Lillard, I think their offensive ceiling is just completely off the charts. Um, so another team that I think I, I would probably feel confident putting him in the top tier of contenders with the Nuggets and the Celtics, that the bad defense notwithstanding.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's 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 really tough to to parse the way there. Do, do you think the the Bucks players around Dame are worse defensively this season, or is it just the Dame's uh, catastrophic impact on, on that team?
1: I would say it's probably a little bit of both. Um, probably more Dame than the other thing, but Brook Lopez is like 35 years old at this point. Um, I don't have him pulled up right now. Giannis is not old, um, but he's getting older and so even if you lose like one percent of your mobility in the NBA that can make a difference. Um, Chris Middleton is obviously a little bit different than he was three or four years ago. He's got a bunch of injuries and he's getting older too. So I do think there's there's certainly some aging going on there but when you when you drop a historically terrible point guard defender into there it's it's tough to figure out how to work with that
0: it is it is uh let's let's move now to number three the biggest favorite for the mvp this season his individual stats are somehow even more impressive than last season he has made a huge leap assists per game wise and he is still scoring at one of the craziest point per minute rates in league history his insane free throw percentage helps his true shooting a lot so it's no surprise he is this guy on the list, even though he already missed seven road games this season. Oh, wow. He, he missed zero home games this season. <laughs> That's impressive availability at yeah. home. Andy, there's no Ben Simmons on the Sixers. No James Harden. No Doc Rivers. Is Embiid out of excuses and ready to win it all for Philadelphia?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I think I think they have to be out of excuses at this point. I think this is the best team that he's had. This is the best that he's played individually. This is the best coach that he's had. Like everything is set up perfectly for Joel Embiid right now. And to his credit, um he's he's been out of his mind this season. <laughs> um I think it's fair to to bring up that he's only playing at home. <laughs> like you just did, or mostly playing at home. Um, I can't remember his name on Twitter, uh, and I I apologize, but he often will show me um, when I post positive stuff about Embiid, you know, these are the opponents he's faced, and these are the ones that he sat out against. That's all fair. Um, But he's also averaging – I don't know if this is still true. I'm pretty sure he still has more points than minutes, and, you know, I don't care who you're playing. If you're doing that in the NBA, that's absurd. Um, I can't stand the way that he gets to the free throw line. It is, it is one of the most objectionable things in my entire time covering the NBA for over 10 years, but he's getting those free points. (laughs) Um, and that's something that's going to continue for at least the rest of the regular season. And you mentioned it. I think this is the biggest thing with him this season. He's, he's moving the ball a lot better. And Nick nurse has put an offense around him that allows him to do that and, and has players moving around him. Uh, so I think he is a meaningfully different different player than he ever has been. Um, he should not have won MVP last year. I, I really don't think there was a sound argument for that at all. I do think there's one this season. I think he's been that good. Um, it's it's going to depend on availability, I think, for the rest of the season for him because I think he might be right around pace for that 67-game minimum. Um, but if he meets that and he puts up numbers like this all season, it's it's going to be hard for voters to ignore
0: that. Yeah, it's it's Patrick Rasmussen who who is the guy that that yeah. shows you. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> a big big friend of the show and and for uh, Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm just uh, I don't have the energy to to bash on on his availability <laughs> so much. I will make a, a joke here and there. I will just say that his stats are perfectly optimized this season and you, you take uh, for what you want.
1: And, do that. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think part of that you saw last night. They, they got smashed by the New York Knicks. Um, I think they were down like 35 or 40 points with four minutes left in the game. And they still had Embiid out there so that he could continue his 30.10 rebound streak, which is a cool streak. Um, but one of the, one of the 76ers fans and writers that I respect, and he also works at Bleacher Report. He edits a lot of my articles is Brian Toporek. He wrote a good article. Yeah. He, he wrote an article at Forbes today. Um, basically saying like, let's, let's be careful here. Um, do we really want to have Joel Embiid out there at the end of a blowout just to preserve? I mean, it is a cool streak. I'll say that again, but it's going to feel kind of hollow if he gets hurt in one of these
0: situations. Yeah, that's that that wasn't smart, but yeah. I guess I guess he re, he's really into stuff like that. Okay, two more guys on this list. Let's take a short break and then fill, finish up the show. Okay. At number 2, the superstar of the biggest surprise team so far, and if you have, would have told me Three months ago, they are going to be a two seed in the West, 34 games in the season. I would have think you were drunk. But Chet Holmgren is amazing. My favorite non-nugget to watch. And one of the Jalen Williams, is the, the smaller one, is playing great. They have a lot of really good uh, role players. But the star of the show is Shea Gilgis Alexander. I do think he would need to be a bit better shooter, to be as effective in the playoffs. But for now, he might be the single most unstoppable player in the league if you don't count the falling Joel Embiid getting free throws. He hits at an amazing rate. Uh, My question here is, is Shea a lot better this season or is the team around him a lot better? So this is why they they made a leap.
1: That's a great question. I I would say it's a little bit more of the latter. Because he he put up insane numbers last year too, and I you know I haven't done like a deep dive into what's different about Shea this season. I I would guess that he's been a more efficient scorer. Seems like every time I watch the Thunder play, he never misses in the mid range. It's it's crazy. Um, he's so good at playing with pace. I mean, there's there's so many guards at all levels of basketball who think, I just need to win the race to to this spot. I'm faster than this guy. I'm going to get there. Um, Shea is amazing at changing speeds and just kind of lulling defenders into a false sense of security and getting to the spot. Um, but I think the bigger thing is that OKC is growing alongside him. Jalen Williams has been awesome this season. Um, Chet Holmgren, you know, according to this, this exercise that we've been referencing all show, has been like top 15 to 20 player in the NBA this season, which mm-hmm. sounds crazy. But if you look at his basic numbers, um, he's he's a phenomenal shot blocker and rim protector. He spaces the floor very very well. He's he's an excellent shooter. I think he's kind of an underrated passer. Um, and the way that those three guys fit together is just like seamless. Um, so I I think it has. Mo- I, you know, there's certainly some individual development from Shea because you don't get to be like arguably the second best player in the league um, just by teammate help. Uh, but I think this, but I think the teammates and the coaching and just the situation developing organically is a big part of it.
0: Yeah, Shea has been amazing, and uh, we will see. We will see how it holds up in the playoffs. We might be too sweet on them, but they're a team that haven't played in the playoffs yet so they they need to 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 get through that hurdle first before we can we can assess how good they are okay number one guy on the list to no surprise because he's the king of the of the advanced stats it's Nikola Jokic and his his uh efficiency dropped a bit this season he had that slump uh in december when he was missing a lot of shots but still with the raw production points per game assists rebounds and you know even though his efficiency is lower it's still better than than most players in the league how would you compare this current season of his to, to his previous three um I would say he, about, his box plus minus, by the way, is his highest. Yeah, his he's, on, he's on pace all-time to set highest
1: again. Um, yeah, he already has the all-time high, and like you said, he's on pace to set that again. If I'm comparing it to the last three seasons, I actually think he's been about the same, um, which is to say he's been absolutely ridiculous. Um, if I were to compare it just individually to last season, I do think he's a tiny bit, worse, uh, which is a weird word to use for Nikola Jokic, but, um, the, the six point drop in true shooting percentage is, is pretty significant. He's still six points above the league average, (laughs) which is also significant. Um, but prior to last season, I think, I think it might've been in a tweet. I just joked, um, Nikola Jokic could average a triple double with a 70 true shooting percentage and people would still freak out if you won MVP. Yeah. And that's essentially what happened. <laughs> he basically averaged it's a triple exactly double. exactly what happened, yeah. Yeah. He averaged a triple double with a 70 true shooting percentage. Uh, people freaked out before he won the MVP, which is why they gave it to someone else. Um, but I, I threw those numbers out there half joking because, you know, in my mind I thought, you know, maybe this is possible for Jokic to do it. But it's such an absurd benchmark that, he, you know, surely he's not going to do that. And he did (laughs) last season. He was unbelievable. And I can't remember. It might've been on my sub stack. Um, I think you could make an argument. It was the best beginning of regular season to end of postseason run in the history of the NBA for an individual player. So that's a really hard standard to match. Um, And I don't think he's quite there this season. However, I think there's still, an almost ironclad argument that he's the best player in the world. Um, I think there's still a very strong argument that he's been the best player within this individual season. Um, but when you're measuring, when you're measuring anything against the standards that he's already set, like it's it's a tough thing to live up to.
0: Yeah, this is the good point to to show my Mirostat uh, list that's updated after last night's games. So. What this stat does is it takes the number of wins a player is a part of and then multiplies it by the net rating of that individual player while he's on the court. So on the court stat and then multiplies that with the BPM. And he's right now, he has a pretty comfortable lead, lead against Joel Embiid who is at number two. Shea is at number three and then there's a big drop of uh, to number four with with Janis. I will tell you that he is on pace right now to have the highest Miro stat in history. And the, the highest one prior to this one was last season's uh, Jokic with, with 70. So, so we'll see where that will go. But another thing about the Nuggets as a whole, we've seen this season some playmaking strides from MPJ and especially KCP. It feels like all the starting five guys are ready to pass up on a good shot for a great shot, but also playmake on the move. The team really takes Nikola's identity when they decide to play as well as they can. Do you think that the Nuggets as a collective look more or less dangerous comparing to their championship season? And before the show, you've told me you have some concerns about them.
1: Yeah, if I'm comparing them if I'm comparing them to how they looked in the playoffs, I think they look worse. Um, If I'm comparing them to how they looked the last month of the last regular season, when I was ready to toss dirt on their championship coffin, um, they look better. Uh, And so I have to kind of check my own uh, subjectivity on this because I, I thought they were cooked towards the end of last season. I didn't think they could flip the switch the way that they did. And so maybe they'll just do that again at some point this season or in the postseason. they'll flip a switch and they'll just look absurdly good again. Uh, But I have kind of thought through the start of the season. I can't remember what their record was through like seven or eight games before Murray got hurt. It was really good. And my initial reaction was, are they going to have a season like the 15, 16 warriors? Because after 2014, 15, a bunch of people that summer um, doubted or discounted the Warriors first championship and then they went out and won 73 games to prove everybody wrong. And I thought Denver might do that too. Um, But I think, and maybe the Murray injury contributed to this. I think they've been kind of content to just have it on cruise control this season. We haven't seen them like really lock in a bunch of times this season. There's a bunch of games that they've kind of looked like they were sleepwalking through. Um, that's how it looked in the third quarter against the warriors before they had that crazy comeback. That was a great, like microcosm of what the nugget season has been. I think, um, they've had a lot of stretches that were like that third quarter, but then they reminded everybody, okay, when we want to turn it on, we can, and we're, we're ridiculous and we can go on a 25 to four run or whatever it is. And maybe that's fine. Um, they've, they've proven to themselves that they can flip the switch. And so maybe that's, that's a source of confidence for them. Um, as someone who's like in the minutia of the NBA regular season year after year after year, I just, I put a lot of stock into regular season performance maybe more than I should. Um, so I, yeah, (laughs) long, long way of saying I do have some concerns. I think they've been lackadaisical at points. I think the ball could move a little bit more. Um, uh-huh. The Murray Jokic two man game is a is a cheat code, especially at the end of games. But I think, you know, in the first three and a half quarters, they could do a better job of being like the 13-14 Spurs.
0: You don't want to turn it into a Luka pick and roll.
1: Right, right. And I don't think there's like they would never get to a point where it was like a team had would figure it out. Like even a, even a bad moment for the, you know, a bad quarter for the Jokic-Murray two-man game is probably still going to be like a net positive for the Nuggets. But you don't want to become too predictable. Um, you have a guy in MPJ that I I, I think can and should average 20-plus points a game. Um, we've been saying for years that he could be a 6'10 Clay Thompson. I think that's true. And I think it's more on the team that he hasn't become that than it is on on him. So there are other guys that I think could maybe be elevated a little bit more this season. And this is all super nitpicky because they just won the championship <laughs> and they won it in dominant fashion, um, this past summer. So again, it's all nitpicky. They could be fine, but I'm not like, you know, I don't think they're a runaway juggernaut favorite.
0: Okay. Before I let you enjoy your Saturday, uh, I have to ask you one last question. We've listed 10 different nuggets opponents that have either collective or individual ex- excellence on their side and i'm putting you on the spot here give me the top 5 most dangerous nuggets playoff foes and of course rank them 1 to 5 okay um we're going to include the
1: east even though there's only there's there's you know the only way you're going to meet a eastern conference team is in the finals but i think the best team in the league to this point uh, has been the Boston Celtics. So I think they have to be number one. Um, I think I'm going to go with the Sixers at number two and it's, I, I still believe, and I think fairly confidently that Jokic is the best center in the world. Um, he's an underrated defender, but he's certainly not like a lockdown interior defender. So they don't have a lot of great options for Joel Embiid. Um, they may not have a ton of great options for Tyrese Maxey either, frankly. And and I think Philadelphia's supporting cast has been really good this season. So I think I'd have them at number two. Uh, I think I would probably have... I'd want to say Milwaukee, but I think Jokic has... He's got some good history against Giannis. Um, you, know, you referenced international competition earlier. He had that awesome game against Greece where he hit the... Uh, Sambor shuffle over him to win the game. He's generally performed pretty well against the Bucs. So I'm going to slide them to four. I'm going to put the Thunder at three. Uh, They have, the Thunder remind me a lot of the 2011-12 Thunder, who were too young, according to most people, to compete for a title, but they were just so athletic, so long. It was difficult for the more experienced teams to hang with them. Uh, and I think that could be a problem for Denver in the playoffs. They nobody has anybody to stop Shea, but I I definitely think that's true of the Nuggets too. And if I had to go a fifth one, I'd probably go Minnesota. Um it was it was a you know, again, like Bruce Brown said, it was a pretty competitive series. Um and I I do think they figured out how to play with each other a little bit better at this point. And and Jaden McDaniels missed that series last season. So, that's my top five. I think I'd go. What did I say? Boston, Boston, Philly, OKC, Milwaukee, Minnesota.
0: Yeah, I think this this exercise is good because it shows us that three out of top four most most difficult matchups are on the other side of the bracket. So yeah. it actually might might show us that the Nuggets uh, might not have as hard of a of a job in out west as maybe it looks like right now, but we will see. Okay, Andy, thank you for coming by. It's always a great pleasure to talk hoops with you. Can you tell us what are you working on that will come out soon and where to look for your content?
1: Well, it's always a pleasure to be on here, Miroslav. I love that you have a stat called the Miro stat. Um, (laughs) You're one of the best followers on Twitter. I don't have a ton going on. I do the power rankings for Bleacher Report every week. Uh, there will probably be a lot of trade content from me, a lot of reasons for, for basketball fans to uh, say mean things to me. So uh, if you open up the Bleacher Report app and you see an NBA story, there's, there's a decent chance it's mine. Uh, your sub stack, is it still a thing? It's there. Um, I haven't done as good a job of... Keeping up with it. The main the main reason I had it last season was to post this exercise mm-hmm. um, that we spent the whole show talking about. But now Twitter's given me the option to just post like this massive list all in one place, and I I think it's just
0: easier for people to find it that way. Yeah, it's it, it's easily access, uh, uh, accessible that way. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much, Andy. Andy, for your time, and I hope I'll get to to talk to you soon again. Okay. Merry Serbian Christmas, Miroslav. Thank you very much. And this would normally be an end of the show, but since this is season three, I decided to give a chance to a fan of the of the show to come up at the very end and share some of his thoughts. His name is Adam Mears, and oh, oh gosh, Miroslav!
2: Wow, <laughs> man. What are you doing? <laughs> such, you surprised me.
0: Such a classic, <laughs> classic Miroslav move.
2: Oh man, I was just hanging out in this room that I am like uh, enslaved to all the time. I Didn't realize <laughs> I'd be on a show. Yeah, you didn't have
0: a lot of podcasts this week, I guess. So.
2: <laughs> Figured I'd get one more in before I do
0: a break. What's up, buddy? You, you <laughs> wanted to, to share some some thoughts of yours? I did, man. Because I was actually I was sitting around. I'm getting ready to go out of town for the next four
2: days. And I was sitting um here while I was listening to you guys talk, I was sitting here thinking about this situation, this Michael Porter situation. You saw the comments right after the game last night. I saw you were talking about it briefly here. So I was thinking about it and I wanted to kind of go back and forth with you on it because, you know, first of all, I thought it was like a well delivered complaint, if there is such a thing. You know what I mean? Like a couple of years back he did this and it seemed kind of whiny. Do you agree with that? Do you think this one didn't come off as so like as
0: like out of place uh listen it's the consensus right now i haven't heard from anybody complaining on his complaining this time around and it's because i believe it's because he has earned the trust of everybody with his great uh uh, teammateship if that's a word and i think he was on point uh with, with every comment he made. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think I think he chose wise when he, his, he did that and the way he did it.
2: And, like, we all know Porter has sacrificed a lot, you know, in his tenure with Denver. And I honestly think that, you know, it's probably because of the surgeries and, and just the way he – like, he has a better perspective, I think, on basketball and life and maybe even, like, you know, our limited ability to control our own fates. You know, honestly, I mean this sincerely, I feel like he has a better perspective on that than most people. And it's pretty impressive. So I don't think he was being personally, I don't think he was being selfish. It was funny how he kept saying, you know, guys like Aaron Gordon will get shots and then not get him. I was like, you're talking about yourself, but it's okay. <laughs> you know, he's talking about everybody, but he's talking about himself. So, um, but I thought for me, why I wanted to hop on is I actually think it's like the most interesting thing about basketball. Cause last night I'm kind of bummed about it and you're kind of sitting here and then I go, this is actually the best story in basketball a team like the nuggets are reigning champions they're 25 and 12 and their challenge right now is how to get the most out of everybody you know how how to like every who needs to sacrifice what and how do we build an identity even though we already have one and won a championship you know Jokic told Charles Bar- Charles Barkley the other day we're chasing ourselves we're trying to actually be better so this idea of well it worked for you last year just do it again to me is almost hollow it's like it's This isn't last year. It's a different team. Porter's better, I think. He's healthier. He's more mature. So there is a new challenge. And that's why I just kind of, I was at first bummed by it. But when I woke up today and was thinking about it, I was like, this is kind of the cool story of basketball. And it's the challenge. If that's the Nuggets' challenge is how to like perfectly integrate all the pieces in a new, like revamped way. I like that challenge because I think they'll figure it out. I actually think it's the best challenge for them.
0: Yes, especially in regular season, you you have so many chances to to give all five guys on the court good chance of moving the ball and and being included into actions. I' actually think and I've already mentioned that on the sh- on this show, KCP has been playmaking a lot this season right. and some of it was out of necessity when you know uh, Jamal was injured and stuff like that but even after Jamal returned we've seen a lot of we've seen uh, him making uh, lobs to to Aaron Gordon which which is which is really cool so yeah I agree I also think that they will probably uh, at when the playoffs come come they will scale back a bit probably mm-hmm. Back to the bread and butter, but until then, you you can you can build so much better chemistry. I'm not saying the chemistry is bad, but it's just you have a chance to go another level uh, this season and and have great vibes before the playoffs, and and then just as 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 do you agree with Andy and me that that they might actually have an easier job in the playoffs? in the West this season, comparing to last season and maybe a more difficult one in the finals. I think definitely a more
2: difficult one in the finals. I don't agree about Oklahoma city. I still think Denver matches up really well with them. I think the Clippers are actually harder. I think that's, I think the Clippers and Timberwolves are both present harder challenges than anything they saw last year personally. So they might only face one of them. They might face both of them, so I don't know. I think it's a little too early for me to really say because you know a lot of the teams that were supposed to be good haven't gelled in a way that is like anything close to what you would scare you. I mean, the Suns were supposed to be that team. They, I have zero fear of the Suns.
0: Yeah, yeah. But it's, the
2: Clippers it's, are good.
0: They have bodies. They have bigs. They have bigs. Yeah. They do have bigs. That's that's the one thing Oklahoma doesn't have behind chat. Right. And yeah that, yeah, that that would be difficult. Even though they, they have so many picks, man, they might get somebody yeah. before the deadline if they decide to to go. And it's not all in, really, if you think about it. They can trade like four first round picks and they would still have like eight I know, I know, for I know. next I know. season. So I, I'm actually I'm actually surprised they're not pulling any any strings already they might you know the deadline's still a little bit away so we'll see i just for me their their move is josh giddy
2: they they're kind of late on the josh giddy trade in my opinion but um but kind of coming back to the nuggets like why i like this challenge particularly as opposed to like health or you know missing piece or whatever even development of young players the reason i like established players having to come together is because it's so relatable you know like like every relationship or friendship or like work relationship it's you never solve it. You're never like, okay, we found perfect harmony in our work environment. It's like, it's always susceptible to being thrown off by something, you know, like ego or communication or whatever. And so that's just what I see with the nuggets is it's a long, boring season, quite frankly, but they're also different in these little ways. They're the same in a lot of obvious ways, but different in these little ways that they're trying to navigate and they're winning despite it. Like they, even though they lost last night, I think they're nine and three in their last 12, but It's fascinating to see, like, look at the Lakers. All the conversation around the Lakers is they need to add some piece. They're missing a piece. And I'm like, they might be missing a piece. But the pieces they have aren't gaining any type of chemistry. So maybe you're not missing a piece. Maybe you just think that because you're not addressing the actual areas you can improve.
0: I mean every team is missing a piece, right? Yeah. Like you yeah. can always find a guy that would make yeah. certain yeah. team better. So if yeah. that's your biggest, you know, strength, then you're you're in a bit of a trouble.
2: But I think Jokic is such an interesting example because LeBron to me is represented by maybe the greatest player we've ever seen, but I don't think he in my opinion, I don't think he has understood that dynamic that Cam Reddish and Austin Reeves and all these guys are his responsibility. If they're not up to snuff, it's It's not, well, we have to find someone that is. It's, I got to get these guys to fit and to somehow form a thing that brings the best out of them. And I think Yoke is clearly that. I mean, like he's one of the best we've ever seen at it, but I don't know that he's ever treated Porter that way. And I feel like Porter has met him and Murray and Michael Malone and everybody else halfway. Like he's at the halfway mark. And I actually feel like it's the other guys that can be like, okay, how do I now meet him halfway to try to figure out, What's the right balance of this? So I think it's interesting, and I think they will figure it out. But I think that Porter's complaint is just a fair one. It's, it's one that's like, hey, here's the problem. This is the challenge. There's 50 games left, and you're going to have to figure out this specific puzzle if you're going to repeat and be what Jokic says better than the team. And I just think that's cool. And I thought it was – I was frustrated with it last night. When I woke up, I was like, that's kind of cool. It's like a movie that has a big conflict, and you're like, ooh, how are they going to get out of
0: this one? I mean I know we are we are doing the, the armchair of psychology now but what percentage uh do you think is it Jokic and what percentage is it Murray you know? um I'll
2: throw a third one in there Michael Malone so I because I yeah. do think it's the the three of them that are the biggest decision makers you know for the team I would say with Murray <laughs> this is again we're playing arm, armchair psychologists yeah. of this I only have so much intel from being around and it's good intel you know see what I observe but I would say I think it's primarily Murray, because if you think about the disease of more is the thing that you whenever you win a title, that's the thing you're worried about. Murray not making an all star, not necessarily getting the recognition. I think he has the hardest ego challenge because he's clearly the supreme player, but he only gets the recognition in the way that's most important, which is great, but not in all these tiny little moments along the way. And I just think it's his style. Like he clearly is frustrated with Porter all the time. Sitting courtside yesterday and seeing every little interaction, it's like Porter is bothered by him a lot, or at least demonstrably is doing this stuff a lot. So I think it's him mostly. And then I would say it's Michael Malone second most because I think Malone, simple is the Murray Jokic two man game. Almost nothing could go wrong, right? Like you might miss shots, but almost nothing can go wrong. And I think Malone loves that. And I think he thinks about defense and he doesn't really think about offense. So I think it probably is Murray, I would say 50%. I would say it is uh, Malone, maybe 30%. And I'd say Jokic 20% because I, while Jokic I th- is willing to do all of these things, like Yoke probably needs to be the arbiter of these things in a way that he's not always comfortable with. He needs to probably be the facilitator of, hey, let's all talk. Murray, how can I get you doing this? Malone, how can we get him involved? Porter, how can I get you to do this and this to get more shots?
0: Yeah, and I I agree with you about Michael really, uh, you know, extending his hands towards the other guys. You know, you you see him a lot of times. He gets the ball in a pretty good position, but he first looks left and right to see if there's another guy in a better position. He actually did that last night at one point, and he saw there was nothing there, and it was the end of the shot clock, so he just turned turned around and 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 drained a a super difficult shot so yeah i i agree it's it's an interesting dynamic are you are you happy about aaron gordon lifting up his his game recently
2: yeah it was obvious that it would happen eventually you know he was clearly like in a malaise and it's and he even talked about it on that podcast so when he said that i kind of was like oh okay he'll turn it and it was like right when he went on that show is when he turned it around so um, so yes, at the, I think the nugget season might go a lot like last year's where they'll have this run where for like four weeks when they really look good. I don't think they've had it yet. They've won games, but I think they'll have it. And all they need is to string together a handful of weeks of those games to where it's like, we don't really need to see anything else. I don't think we've seen it yet. So if we went into a play, if the year just followed this mark and went into the playoffs, I'd be a little uncomfortable. Anything it'd still be possible. But if they have just a couple weeks, I'll be like, all right, there it is. You can shut it down. You could pace the rest of the year. We've
0: seen it. Man, this was a pretty impressive appearance. I have to say, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to think about inviting you to be a real guest on this show. You, you've had a really good showing. Well, I have to tell you something though. It's yeah. Christmas, right? Yep. Well, H-
2: Christos Ceroti. This is the yes. one thing I remember. This is yes. one of the few. would, want... I actually remember Srechna Slava too, and I forgot to tell Jokic the other day.
0: Yes, that's right, Christos. That will be all for the premiere episode of the third season of Serbian Corner. Don't forget to put thumbs up on your way out. Another great guest or guests will join me next weekend. So until then, I'll be back. Merry Christmas, everybody.